We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to talk today on the essence of marriage. And so um, we're going to look at a few verses of scripture. And really this, this uh, concept is good for you if you are married, especially, um, and, you, and you hope to stay married. Um, we, would, we would like to speak into your life today. <laughs> um, if you're not married and you would like to be married someday, you seriously need to listen up. Um, this is totally for you. If you're not married and you never want to be married, um, this is still... 100% completely for you. Um, this is from the Word of God, and the Bible constantly talks about marriage, and so for us, uh, it's, it's a great template of God's plan for us and God's covenant with us. And so we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. First and foremost, we're going to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 22, and so if we could put that on the screen, Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus is being asked, what is the single most important commandment? Narrow it down, Jesus. we got a whole Old Testament. we got all these laws, all these rules. Narrow it down for us. Help us out here. Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And I love Jesus' response because Jesus just always takes authority in whatever situation he's walking into. Uh, uh, they ask him, what is the number one? And he, he gives them two and doesn't ask permission. <laughs> he tells them, first and foremost, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Uh, there's not a whole lot left <laughs> with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Basically, love God with everything. That is the first commandment, the greatest commandment. And then Jesus doesn't really skip a beat. He says, oh, and by the way, the second greatest commandment, the second one, is actually very similar to this one. It's, it's, it's like it, he says. And the same word is right there at the beginning. Love your neighbor as yourself. So basically, Jesus says, uh, you want to know what is the greatest commandment? Well, I will tell you, it is to love God, but you can't just love God. This doesn't work. So I got to throw in another commandment. If you simply love God, if you could just go off into the wilderness somewhere and it's just you and Jesus, it's not quite going to work out uh, the way that it's supposed to. And Jesus says, so, so there's a second commandment. And that second commandment is very similar to this one. It also has to do with love, but now it's loving people. So the two greatest things that God wants from us, the greatest thing that you could ever do is, first of all, love God with everything, and secondly, love people. And um, many of us, you know, this is, this is the struggle. This is, this is what we deal with throughout life. <laughs> You've got an amen over there. We got, this, this is what we deal with. Uh, going to church, okay, we can do that. Now, of course, when it's a hurricane out there, I mean, you guys all get, like, special rewards in heaven for that. Um, I, no, I really don't know if you do or not. You can't, like, you can't, like, go up and say, Pastor Harry said, because that doesn't work up there. So, anyway, but, but you know, we, we can do some of the religious things, right? We, we can do some of those things. But to love God with everything? I was talking to Madden about that last night. I was, she asked me for a story about when I was 12. And I said, well, that's when I decided to give God everything. And she said, everything. And I said, yeah, everything. She's like, well, what's everything? I said, well, everything is everything. She said, well, what, 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 how, how do you do that? I said, well, I, got, I gave God all my toys. And she held her toys a little tight. She's like, what do I do? I said, well, it doesn't mean that like, you take them outside and burn them. It just means that you tell God, you announce that these don't belong to me. These belong to God. And I will do with them whatever God wants me to do with them. 
And so, and so if God wants me to give them away, I'll give them away. If God wants me to keep them, I'll keep them. If God wants me to enjoy them, I'll enjoy them. But whatever I have, whatever I own, belongs to God. That's what it means to give God everything. That I am okay with God doing whatever he wants with his stuff. And I've given it all to him. It's all his. And so to give God everything, to love God with everything, is something that we preach a lot about. But I think uh, equally important is that we love people. And this gets a little more tricky because people are not quite as awesome as God. <laughs> people, I mean, they're close, you know, but they're not quite as awesome as God. And so it's a little more difficult sometimes to love people. But Jesus said, look, you can't do the one without the other. So you, so you have to love people. And it's interesting because we, usually when we talk about this passage, we talk about it in the context of let's go out and evangelize. Let's go out and reach people for Jesus because we've got to love people. But did you ever stop to think that maybe this also applies to your marriage, to the greatest love relationship of your life? How in the world is it that the greatest love relationship of our lives is often lacking much of what Jesus is talking about here? We extend a lot more grace, a lot more love to other people. But when it comes to the greatest love relationship of our life, our marriage, we're often forgetting about this commandment here. And so we want to look back at the original marriage to see what God's plan for marriage is. And that's found in Genesis chapter 2. This is the first uh, wedding, the first marriage of all time. God creates man. God creates Adam. And um, it says that he put him in a garden and asked him to take care of the earth. Uh, so this was, this was man's first job. To take care of the earth. And so as he's taking care of the earth, as he's being obedient to God, uh, the Bible says that, that God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so some of you single guys, that, that is your verse for the day. That's it. Um, you need to memorize that. God said it is not good for God said it is not. Let me, let me just repeat. Adam did not say it is not good for me to be alone. God said it is so. So. Until God says it's not good for you to be alone, it probably is good for you to be alone. So anyway, God said it is not good for man to be alone. So God said, I'm going to bring a, help, a helper to him, a helpmate to him, a beautiful woman to him. And so God put the man to sleep. Uh, oh, hey, that's, that's one. Yeah, that's verse, we, we want to go back to verse 21, Genesis 2, 21. So God has this solution. Right. God says, uh, Adam, you're going to need to take a nap. And uh, if we don't have it, we don't. Alan, my, my phone's dead. <laughs> we all all sorts of messed up. I'll just get this. Yeah. It's kind of small group today. Someone else want to find it? Genesis 2, verse 21. We will... Come on, somebody. You got it. All right. We're, we're going small group today. 221. Oh, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah let's, let's pull it up. Yeah, please. That'd be awesome. And you get a special star at the end of class. Christine. I want to make sure that I get the, the words exactly. So in verse 21, it says, The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the flesh in its place. And then God made a woman from that rib. How do you do it? Well, that's called a miracle. <laughs> he had 
the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So, so, so as I've said before, Adam went to sleep single, and he woke up married. He goes to sleep, which, by the way, is, is, is a good picture of what God wants to do. You, you really need, if, if you're single here today, you really need to be able to rest in God. Because God will, if, if you're desiring to be married, God will do some of his best work while you're sleeping. God will create some of his most beautiful things when you're not looking around, scanning the room, trying to figure things out. God will do some of his, God will bring some of his best gifts when your mouth is shut and your eyes are shut and you are trusting him, resting in him, not out there trying to make it happen. So Adam goes to sleep and he wakes up and he sees this woman. And so the man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's a passage we do have. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and they become united. Now, the word united is so key. That word united, uh, literally, it means to glue together. And so, so, so many marriages um, are are having a hard time loving each other, are having a hard time staying together. And, um, and here we see the reason. And this is, this, is, this is the reason, because they don't have enough glue. It's clearly the problem. So anyway, if you're single today and you want to get married, you need to stock up on some glue. All right? You need, you need to get some glue. You stock up. Not Elmer's glue. You need to stock up on this word right here. This word means to glue together. But in other places of the Old Testament, it's, it's translated to covenant, to come into a bonding covenant. And so the glue of marriage is a covenant. A glue, the glue of marriage is the covenant. And so today we want to talk about the glue of marriage. We want to talk about the covenant and, and how, that, how that relates to our life. You can intercede if you like. <laughs> so how do you stay su- stuck to someone? How do you stay glued to them, cleave to them? Um, and it's, it's through covenant. It's through kept promises. It's, um, last week, Harry talked about I should, I can, and I will. And for me, that's covenant. God says I should, I can, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, and I will. So, you know, there's, there's covenant love, and then there is consumer love. So imagine when you're going shopping, you get to buy what you want. You know, when we, when we had our um, house and we started to pick some things for it, slowly but surely as the budget allows, we picked things we liked. And people would offer us things, and we'd say, thanks for your ugly couch, but no, thank you. <laughs> you know, if you don't want it in your house, I'm not sure we want it in ours. But you nobody know, here at the church, though. That was no, not, there was nobody here. There was, there was people from, like, Georgia. Promised land. They're all yeah. promised. They got ugly couches down there in San Marcos. That's how it goes. No, no, people felt sorry for the flooded people, and that was lovely. But, you know, when you go shopping, you want something that you like. You're not going to have a relationship with an ugly couch. You're not going to keep, um, you know, an ugly sweater around unless it's cool and hip. But, you know, usually you're going to get rid of the stuff that you don't like when you're in shopping mode. You're going to buy the things you do like. And that's how shopping works. That's consumerism. You're going to, you're going to get what works for you when you want for it, and you're going to break up with it any time it's not working anymore. But yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, hey. that's our culture. So, so what, what, we're, what we're saying is that when we talk about covenant, 
we recognize this is a shock to your system. So we recognize that us and you are consumers by nature. We grow up as consumers. We're consumers when it comes to politicians, right? So we vote for people that are going to do things to affect our lives better. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's what makes America go round, right? That's what makes capitalism work. That's, that's why Target exists. Right? Because there was Walmart, and then somebody said we want something better. Anyway, I don't <laughs> so, so if you approach your marriage or relationships with other human beings as a consumer, you will not stay stuck. They will do something, they'll pick their nose, or they'll do something that you will not like, and you will decide to become unstuck with that person, and you'll walk off and shop for somebody else that is a better fit for you. So what God tells us to do is enter into covenant, and covenant is a sacrificial commitment to the good of others. Out there in the parking lot, those of you who arrived after 10.10, me and Austin ran around with umbrellas like mad banshees, and helped you get from your car, hopefully, a little bit less wet than you would have without our umbrellas. And that is sacrificial commitment to you. That's loving on you, and it was actually really fun playing in the puddles. But, it's, you know, that's sacrifice, that's commitment, that's covenant. With your kids, you know it. Anybody that has birthed a child, that is sacrifice, people. Mm. I tell you, my midwife asked me, what would be your ultimate birth? I said, to wake up with a baby beside me? And she said, seriously? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I would like to miss the whole birthing process. That would be great. Apparently that's not how God wanted it to go down, but that would be good. But with our kids, we sacrifice. We have covenant with them. We, we shun people in our society that have a consumer-based relationship with their children that say, you know what? I don't like the way your hair looks today. You don't get to come inside tonight and sleep in your bed. I mean, we would put people like that in jail. Okay, so we have a covenant relationship with our kids, but we seem to, with our spouse, have a whole different rule. With our friends, we have a whole different rule set. We say, mm, no, we can be consumers with our friends. We can be consumers with our spouse. If it's working for us, it's right. If it's not, if we're not feeling of it, mm, we're done with it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what, what I've been reading about in the book that we, um, what's that book called by Timothy Kellum? The meaning of marriage. The meaning of marriage. It has a chapter, and he talks about if you're needing to get some more glue in your relationship, what to do. And he says to do loving actions. If you do loving actions, loving feelings follow. Often, in a consumer-based relationship, we say, I don't feel it, so you're not going to get any loving actions. If you do loving actions first, loving feelings follow. A few weeks ago, we were having problems with our mics. And so I held a mic for Dallas while he was um, leading, because, you know, playing guitar, it's a bit hard to hold a microphone as well. And so I held a microphone for him. And as I was just standing there being a microphone stand, um, I thought, I, I was watching Dallas, and I was thinking, man, I appreciate this man so much. I appreciate how he leads us in worship, how he uses his gifts. He allows himself to get vulnerable in front of all of you people to help lead you into the presence of God. And it was while I was doing something that was sacrificial, standing there, um, being a microphone stand, that I noticed how much I appreciated him. And as I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking about that. As you do loving actions, as you serve others, loving feelings follow. You appreciate them. You see the things that you value in them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's why 
um, our, our culture does value covenant, some covenant relationships, which you're talking about yeah. with regard to parenting. Um, you know, you go to jail if you don't take care of your kids. Um, and, 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 and also with regard to like um, uh, the environment, we, we really feel a strong, many of us feel a strong uh, covenant with the environment to take care of the environment, not to trash it, to leave it a better place than we found it. Um, which, by the way, I think that goes back to Genesis. That goes back to the first thing that God had his kids do is take care of the earth. So it does tie into something biblical. I mean, I'm not saying it's crazy, but, but it's, inter- it's just interesting how we have a certain value set for some of these covenant um, relationships. But yet when it comes to romantic love um, and, and, and a kind of partner for life, we, we often feel that almost that, 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 that obligation sort of like kills it. You know what I mean? Like, like it, like, like it, it takes the, the love right out of it. Like, you know, like it, it, it what's, what's that song? What's love got to do, got to do, got you, to do with it? Are you, you quoting know? Tina Turner? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> what's love but a, hey, it's my party. I can cry if I want to cry. If, I don't know where all this comes from. I was, I was quoting Simba before church to Colin. I don't know what's going on. But, like, it's, 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 it's what's love but a secondhand emotion. It's this idea, you know, with regard to romantic love that you got to feel it, that it's got to be butterflies in your stomach, that it's got to be this, 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 this thing that, that, that is there sometimes and is not there sometimes. And, 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 and that's why when we talk about our relationship with our kids, I think that's a really good example because, because sometimes, I mean, I, I, I just feel so loving toward them. Sometimes, like, it's just they're, they're they're just so adorable and and I'm so glad that we had them you know um, and then they wake up and and you know and then things change a little bit and you don't always feel you don't always feel that you know but but it's but, but I do feel it sometimes other times I don't but that does not affect how I treat them right so I, I'm going to take care of them I'm going to nurture them I'm going to protect them and provide for them make sure they have a roof over their head regardless of how I am feeling about them at the moment and that's called covenant that's covenant love that's the kind of love that God is talking about when he is telling us and commanding us first of all to love God secondly to love people isn't it interesting that God would command you to love in Ephesians 5, God's talking, the Holy Spirit's talking to all the husbands, and he says, Husbands, love your wives. Well, why would you get married if you didn't love your wife? <laughs> well, obviously, at one point, you loved your wife. But the, 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 the strength of the marriage, of the covenant, is to continue to love your wives. Well, he's not going to command you to have an emotion. You, he didn't say, like your wives. <laughs> Right? And when Jesus said, love God, he said, love people. He didn't say you had to like everybody. He didn't say you had to feel this, 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 this gooey, warm fuzziness toward everybody that you meet. Or, you're, you know, no, that, that, that's, that's a feeling. That's called liking. And you fall into like and you fall out of like. Sometimes with the same person multiple times throughout your life. You're falling in and out of like because like is an emotion. But love is a commandment. So it must be an action. It cannot be an emotion. God can't command you to like something, you know. I mean, I simply don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't care how, who commands me to like them. I don't like them. They, they're nasty. I don't know why somebody thought they would pick those things out of the ground and shove it in their mouth. That is weird and abnormal behavior. I don't like it. 
I don't like it. Now, now, do I feel like sometimes I need to eat things I don't like? Well, yes, that's an action. So sometimes I will do things that I, I but I don't, I don't like it. So God's not commanding us to feel something. So many times we get, we, we, we get under condemnation. We feel like we're not living up to God's expectations of us because we're not feeling what we think we ought to be feeling. But God's not commanding you to feel anything. God's commanding you to love people, and that's not a feeling. That is a decision. That is an action. He said, love, husbands love your wives in Ephesians 5. Husbands love your wives, and he, and he pulls an illustration. He says, like Jesus, like Christ, loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, so, so it's not even a romantic love that he pulls as an illustration. It's, it's a guy being crucified on a cross for the sins of people who are crucifying him. Right? The church was, was shouting, crucify him. The church was nailing, putting the nails into his wrist and into his feet. The church was treating him unfairly. The church was not, was, not, was not respecting him. The church was not appreciating him. The church, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for people who didn't even appreciate it. And some of them never would. And so the action that God is calling us to uh, when we love people, and especially when we love our spouse, is not the kind of love that, that, well, we'll see if this works. It's not the kind of love that is looking for a response. It's not the kind of love that's looking for, 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 for a result. It's the kind of love that says, I'm going to do what is right, regardless of whether or not it works. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to give up my preference for your preference. I'm going to, I'm going to seek. What, what was the, what was the, the quote that you had there? What, the definition of covenant oh. is to seek. It's a sacrificial commitment to the good of others. Sacrificially commit um, to your good. And, and this is the kind of love that changes. This is the kind of love that shapes a marriage. This is the kind of love. Uh, I, was, I, I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, you know, can, can, can one person make a difference? And obviously we believe that, you know, if you've ever listened to any kind of pop songs, you know one person can change the world. But, but in reality, like, like in, in real life, in a marriage, if you're stuck in a marriage and the one person is not that interested in making changes, can one person make a difference? Can one person really make changes? Can one person really turn things around? And the answer is, well, look at the cross. One person laying down his life for a bunch of people that could care less. Did it make a difference? Did it make a difference for you? Did it make a difference? Okay, good. It's small group time. All right, you don't have to testify, but you can at least shake your head. Yeah. Good job, Jonathan. Jonathan didn't even raise his hand. He said, it made a difference. His, when he sacrificed, when he laid down his life, and we saw that example of love, it did something in our heart. It did something to us. It caused us to say, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to give my life to Christ because of what Christ has done for me. He loved me first. He sacrificed for me first. He, he laid down his agenda for me first. His ego was in the back seat. His father was driving the train for me and for my benefit and he did it first and one person one person changed the outcome of the entire human race the entire course of human history was shifted through one act of selfless love so can one person turn things around absolutely can one person decide to go to the cross 
for their spouse. Absolutely. Can one person decide to go to the cross for, 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 for their school or for their neighborhood or for their family? Absolutely. One person who decides to love people, not for what they can get out of them, not for what they currently are getting out of them, but simply because God said so, simply because this is what God wants from me. This past Saturday, today's Sunday, so yesterday, I was up 5 a.m., and I was driving the big church trailer and truck, and uh, I was driving here to the school, and I was driving. What's amazing to me is I was driving not just not because just I'm the pastor and, and, I'm, and I'm weird like that, but I, I was coming here at 5.30 a.m. actually to meet several other people. Uh, uh, Cindy and, and, and little Robbie were there when I got there. Uh, 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 Laura and, 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 and all of her gang, all of her kids were there. They were barely awake, but they had tacos already, breakfast tacos. Uh, Robert and Mary Ann were already there. Jalisha and their kids came. Ricky and Veronica came. Peter came. Um, uh, Paola was already there. And it's like we had like 15 people here unloading stuff that you all donated. Um, to our yard sale, which I hate yard sales, and, 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 and you know, but, but, but we decided to do a yard sale in order to raise money for the PTA for the kids here at Williams Elementary for their year-end carnival, and I'm driving 5.30 in the morning, and I'm thinking, I need coffee, I need coffee, I need coffee, I need coffee, and then I had another thought, why am I doing this? I need coffee, I need coffee, I need, <laughs> why am I, so the, the, the occasional, why am I doing this, popped into my head, and I said, well, so that we can raise money for the Williams Elementary PTA, so they can have a great carnival at the end of the year, why in the world do I care if they have a great carnival or not? I, my kids aren't Williams, aren't at Williams, I don't go I'm not going to get to play on the jumpy houses and all the games like why do I now care about Williams Elementary well the, the 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 truth is I don't personally feel some warm fuzzy feeling when it comes to raising money for the PTA so that the kids can have a great carnival I'm not that's not why I'm doing it I'm doing it because Jesus said love your neighbor as yourself and love is an action love gets up at 5 30 in the morning love sets aside their saturday love gives up of their time and of their talent and they spend their i mean i mean laura almost got hit a couple times run out to the road trying to flag people down telling them that we we're selling stuff on the side of the road i mean love gets a little crazy sometimes because 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 it's not because it's not looking for a response it's not looking for something it's looking to give something it's not looking to get something. It's looking to give something. And that's what love is. And that's what, that's what we mean by, by a covenant type of love. And I understand that's weird. I understand that's upside down. And I understand that doesn't fit with what you think of as romance. But trust me, this is the glue. Ask anybody that's been married more than five minutes. This is the glue. The 40 years, 50 years. Adam and Eve, man, they lived into their 900s. And as far as we know, they never got divorced. This is the glue. You want some anniversaries under your belt? You want something that lasts? This is it. This is it. Now the romance comes, and it's awesome, and then it goes, and it's kind of a bummer. And then it comes back, and it's awesome, and then it sort of goes, and it's sort of a bummer. And the ebb and the flow of how you feel absolutely changes, but the glue of marriage is this kind of non-sexy sacrificial 5:30 in the morning making breakfast for her sleeping on the couch so that your alarm doesn't wake her up in the morning not that i know any 
husbands that do that, but anyway, some of them do. And uh, 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 it's, that's, that's, it's that kind of sacrifice. That's sacrifice. That's where she watches the kids all day Saturday so that I can study for my sermon. And you guys don't even know that. You don't even see that. But that's the kind of sacrifice that goes into this kind of covenant that we're talking about. That's good. Yeah, and you might say, oh my goodness, to love like that, what a huge call. It's impossible to, to live in that um, vein with all of the people that you come in contact with, and especially the ones that you live with 24-7. And you might be tempted to water it down, like Harry was saying, to just mm. like people. Well, I quite like Harry today, so that's enough, isn't it? But it's, God calls us to love them. <laughs> and why does he want us, want us to love him? Why does he want us to love others? Because he wants to reflect himself. Mm. He wants to be glorified. He wants glory brought to his name. Mm. In Ezekiel 36.20, God tells the Israelite people that they profaned his name. And that Hebrew word, when it's translated as profaned, means to treat as common or ordinary. Mm. Their lives had made God look ordinary. There was nothing in their conduct that elevated the name of their God, and they had wounded God's prestige. His name now limped among the nations. God wants you to love other people because he wants his spectacularness to be seen by others. If you just like other people, he becomes ordinary. If you claim him as your source, as your God, he's just ordinary. He's like everyone else. If you are able to love then we're able to show how incredible God is. And we're going to talk about how to do that because it's not mustering it up. It's not me getting up in the morning and saying, I will love. Gosh darn it. I will love. It's not that. It's, it's relying on God loving through us. And Harry's going to chat about that. Yeah, yeah. The rest of that, Ezekiel 36, um, she read from verse 20 where God talked about how they had profaned his name. But in verse 26... Um, God talks about a new day that's coming. And this also is quoted again in the New Testament in, in the book of Hebrews. But uh, in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, moreover, this is what God's about to do. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. In other words, I'm going to renovate the inside. I'll give you a new heart, give you a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you an actual heart of flesh, a heart that feels, a heart that responds, a heart that loves people. I will put my spirit, my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and then you will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. This is, God's, this is God's ultimate plan for humanity. This is where everything has been leading. He has never been content with us simply being religious or us simply liking people that like us. He's never, that, 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 that concept can be done by anybody and, and is performed by everybody. A- anybody who, who is breathing is, is very prone to like people who like them and dislike people who dislike them. But Jesus came to earth and he said, you've heard it said by men of old, you are to love your friends and hate your enemies. I'm telling you to love your enemies. How in the world can you like your enemies? Oh, you're not going to like them. <laughs> you have to love them. So first of all, he's telling you, number one, if you follow him, you will have enemies. 
there's going to be some people that don't like you. You will have enemies. But secondly, he's saying, I want you to love them. How can I do that? How can I, like Jesus, be hanging on the cross and, and actually say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How can I love people in the midst of unfair treatment? How can I love them when they bring up stuff about me? How can I love them when they, when they, when they, when they, when they stab me in the back and gossip about me? How can I love them when they are out to get me? And sometimes they're living in my very home. Sometimes I'm married to the person and they're, and they're trying to tear me down behind my back. They're trying to tear me down to my face. How can I love this person? How can I say truly, not just, not just how can I keep my mouth shut and not say anything, but how can I say, how can stuff come out of my mouth and it be forgiving and it be grace-filled and it be loving? How can I say, Father, forgive them even while they are doing the very things that are hurting to me? How can I, how can I do that? Well, this is how you do it right here. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put my spirit inside of you. And when his spirit is inside of us, then he causes us to do these things. He causes us to walk this thing out. So you can, you can have a religion where you try to meet up or live up to a certain standard, or you can accept the Spirit of God into your heart, which causes you to live this way, which causes and empowers you to do this, which by the way, that is really another aspect of covenant. Covenant is empowering. Covenant is empowering. And so if you are in a covenant relationship, if you're, if you're married today, your job is to empower the person that you're married to. Your job is not to receive power from them. Your job is to impart and communicate power to them. And if you're not married today, you can practice this right now. <laughs> Other people in this church people you're sitting next to actually or maybe you're not maybe there's nobody on either side of you but there are other folks on your row that you can actually empower this is why we have small groups that's why we encourage everybody to get into a small group so that you build relationships where you give power to other people you encourage other people it's not that you go to a small group so that you can suck all the life out of it and everybody, everybody can, can leave feeling, oh man, she's got problems. I'm glad we're able to help her. No, it's like you go and you give help to other people. You go and you empower other people. That's why God put you in the family he put you in. That's why he gave you the brothers and the sisters and the siblings that he gave you because he knew they needed power that you got. And too often we evaluate our situation, our marriage, our family, our, our church based on what am I getting out of this? How come I'm not getting enough out of this? And yet a covenant relationship says, how can I bring something to this table? How can I empower you? How can I help you be who God has called you to be? Step into a situation and you make it better. And I know that once again, that sounds weird. It sounds absurd. Harry, you don't live in the real world, but this is what covenant is. Covenant is a commitment. Covenant is a commitment where you step into a situation and you'll do stuff differently when you're committed, by the way. Because if you're a consumer, then yeah, you're shopping around for who's got the best this and who's got the greatest that and who do I feel the most, blah, 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 blah. But if you're committed, if you step into a relationship with a commitment to the person, and it doesn't matter necessarily what, you're, necessarily what you're getting out of it. It matters what you're giving to it. And the amazing thing about this love that God's talking about is when you give this kind of love, you always get this kind of love in return. And what you're looking for, 
What you're looking for is going to be received through what you give. What you need is going to be received through what you give. So many times marriages break down because people go outside of that marriage looking for something that they need. And what's so crazy about it is their spouse in the marriage needed that very same thing from them. And, and because they wouldn't give, they, wouldn't, they couldn't receive. And I, I would suggest that the church, actually, that, that the church that you're a part of, if you're a part of City Chapel, or maybe you're part of another church, but the church that you are in needs something that God has put inside of you. And, 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 and I, would, I, I would be so absolutely certain that if you would give what's inside of you into the body that God placed you, that you would find exactly what you need coming from that body to you. That's why we encourage people to step into small groups because so many times people need connection. You need somebody who knows you, who, 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 who is connected to you. And the way you get connection is by making yourself vulnerable and connecting with other people. And when you connect with other people, then you receive connection. When you love somebody else, you receive love. When you empower somebody else, you receive power. This is the way that God set it up. And so I don't know, uh, but maybe I, I, I might have left a light around somewhere, uh, like the front row. Um, and, uh, and so Ro is, <laughs> is going to be my prop, my prop person. Oh, look, she's going around the wall. That's awesome. Thank you, babe, for not going through the wall. I know it looks like a curtain, but it's really a wall. It's, it's, you, go, you go around walls and through curtains, and, and so she's going around. Thanks. Awesome. And so, and so I, I just thought I would use a small demonstration. Can, can I borrow your microphone? Sure. Yes. And uh, awesome. We'll swap that around. Because, because when, 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 when we're talking about the spirit of God that's inside of you, I, I, I just thought of these light bulbs that we have hanging out all, all over the place in here. And um, frequently we have to... We have to change out the bulb. We have to put a new bulb inside. And so I think that's sort of what God's talking about, that when you are saved, God puts a new bulb inside of you, <laughs> a new spirit inside of you. He puts new power. He puts this, 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 this light right here that, 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 first of all, you need. Like, 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 like you need to see where you're going. You need the light that God's put inside of you. But not only you, but the people around you need this light. And God knows that. That's why he puts you in that, in, in that work environment. It's so dark and nobody is very nice. That's why you're there. <laughs> to change it. To change it around. To shine this light. So God stuck you in, in, in the exact place that he wanted you to be. And in order for you to bring a shift and bring a change to it. And so he, he, he's put that change inside of you. He's put the new bulb in there. It's ready to go. It's all fired up. You are, you are so ready to go. And so the passage of scripture that, that, that I would like to talk about here is in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the grace that God gives us. Okay, so, so, so at salvation, God does something for us. He puts something in us. And, and, and here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul has an issue, and he's already saved. He's already a follower of Jesus, but he has an issue. He has a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan, whatever that means. We're not really sure to torment him. And so three times he pleads with God to take it away. But in verse 9, Jesus says to him, he says, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so God takes the word grace and the word power, and he makes them synonymous. 
My grace is enough because my power is enough. And so, and so one thing that, that you do need to understand is that grace is not mercy. Mercy is when God wipes away your past and he forgives you of your past. And that's mercy. But grace is different. Uh, the traditional definition of grace is, is, is unmerited favor. But that's pretty vague. Because basically that just means God's smiling at you. Well, that's nice, but how is his smile sufficient for his power is made perfect? Obviously, it's a little more than a smile. His power, his power is made perfect. His power is grace. So grace is the smile of God, but it is more than that. It is the smile of God that transcends all of these other things, and it cuts right into your life, and it provides power for you to be able to turn on what he's put inside of you. The power, that's what this is missing. That's why this light isn't lit up right now, because there's no power going to it. There's no electricity going to it. There's nothing igniting it and, and, and burning the, the, the filament on the inside of this bulb. There's no power. And much of, much of us, we live in our, in our marriages and in our relationships and just in life in general, very much like this. We live without power. We have the salvation. We have the bulb inside of us. We have this new thing that God's put inside of us, but it's just sitting there. It's not active. It's not doing anything. And so, and so we read about stuff like this. We read about Paul facing something difficult, and then Jesus says, well, my grace, my power is sufficient for you. And it is. His power is sufficient. Your power is not sufficient. His power is sufficient. Your striving, your strength, your ability to do better next time is not enough. His power is enough. You need his power. You need electricity. And so, and, so, and so basically you have to plug in, right? You have to plug in to the power. You have to plug your life. You have to plug your life in. So, so I'm just going to plug this in right here. And uh, there's a little spot right there. Okay. So it's plugged in pretty much. There we go. But it's not lighting. Hmm. Let's try that again. So we got, we got the plug, plug it in. There's a little hole there. Um, still not lighting. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm obviously not on the setup team. I am always working with the worship team over here. Uh, well, the setup team is setting these things up. Does anybody know how, how to, to, to plug this in? Because I'm plugging this in, but, but, there's no, but, but, but there's no power coming. The power source. You need a source. Well, I mean, I got the bulb. I got the, the socket. I got all the... I'll just plug in. No, I need a, 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 a source. Of, down there. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. This in, 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 in this little box is what they're telling me. So I'm going to plug it in to... I'm going to electrocute myself. No? Still, there's, there's still no power. So I plugged it in to this... The white one. <laughs> Had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> so, oh, so, so there's a particular kind of power that is needed. There's a particular source. Okay, okay. so, so I, I plugged it in, into the wrong one, and then we, we stick it. Oh, hey, there we go. Now we got, now we, now we got power going into the, the light, and, and the electricity is flowing. Nice. And now we can shine out on people. And we can see how lovely they are. And uh, uh, you can see all that kind of stuff. You can see so much better. That's, that, that, that is how, in, in, in sort of a crude illustration, that is, that is what God does for us. 
God provides a power source for us. And I would just suggest, uh, I would just suggest that if, that if God has put a light inside of you, if he has done something like this, if you have decided to follow Jesus, then he has given you a new spirit and a new heart, but you have to plug it in. And he has also given you a source. And so many times I feel like Maybe, maybe, that's, that, that's, maybe that's a pretty good illustration. This is kind of what we do. First of all, we try to plug into ourselves, right? So we just, we just get along with Jesus, and, and it's going to be awesome, and then we don't ever get any more power. And so we think that something's wrong with, with, with maybe the cord or maybe the bulb. Maybe, maybe we didn't get what everybody else got. But the problem is we're, we're not looking for a source. We're just plugging into ourselves and our own self-commitment and our own self-determination and our own ability to be better and to get better. And so we plug into ourselves and it doesn't work. But then we come to church and somebody, and somebody points out the fact that, oh, hey, you can't just do this on your own. You need to plug into God. God is the power source. His power is coming to you. And so we say, yes, okay, I need to plug into God. And we start fiddling around with all these other places. And it seems like much of life, as I'm counseling people, I feel like people are walking around like this. Like, like, like Pastor Harry found a way to plug in, but I haven't really found a. And so, and so we, we were going up to all sorts of different things, and and maybe even like you know people, and and then just and just just kind of plug in. And we're trying, we're trying to find that power source that actually connects with us, that actually brings power into us. And we felt it one time when we went down to the front and prayed, and that was kind of cool. But, but, then, but then we went home, and, and, and it kind of unplugged, and then we weren't really sure how, how all that works. Because, and, so, and, so, and so then we just got to come to church every Sunday to kind of help get us through the week. Because we plug in at church, and then, and then, and then it's great while we're here. And then we're like, okay, now, now we need to leave. And then, it's, oh. and then we get in the parking lot, and somebody cuts us off. You need an extension cord. Come on, somebody. That's true. We got a 100-foot extension cord up here. We can plug that 100-footer in here. You can make it all the way to the awning right there, and, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then you lose it. And, but this, this is what's crazy. This whole building's full of power. There's power all in every single one of these walls throughout the ceiling. There's power. Electricity is running through this stuff. It's all around us. But it's like if we don't have an outlet, if we don't have a, a source that we can plug into, we cannot access the power. And this is why Jesus said you have to love God. That's most important. But then there's a second commandment that is going to make this first commandment work. You have to love people. Because people, covenant, is the outlet that God created to go home with you. It's great to have an outlet here at church and to plug in and feel the worship and feel, and feel stuff and, and hear stuff and see God. And that's good. But you need, you need an outlet that goes home with you. And this is why God created marriage. So that you could plug in to your spouse. And so that God can speak to you through her. And, and if you are her, God can speak to you through him. This is why the enemy is so bent on destroying marriages. Because he knows if he can divide you, he can pull you away from your source of power. And it affects everything. It affects everything. It affects your anointing. It affects your ability to preach or, or, or whatever God's called you to do. It affects your ability to work and to do your job right. And, and, and it impacts every aspect of your life when you unplug 
from your spouse. Or if you're not married, when you unplug from the other covenant relationships that God has put you in. So many, so many people, especially this generation, it, it, we have a, we, we have, I, I don't know if there's a psychological term for it, but we have like a, a, a stigma about us that we are like fatherless. And yet many of the people that I meet, they actually had dads. <laughs> like, dude, you're not, you're, you're not fatherless. You have a dad. He's breathing, living with an address. Like, but oh, I, just, I just didn't have a dad growing up. But no, like I met him. I shook his hand one time. He, he, he exists. Oh, you mean you didn't have the dad you wanted? Or you thought you deserved? And so this is what we do, though. We grow up and we're looking for the dad or the mom. God put us in a covenant relationship with these two imperfect individuals. And they are and were, and they didn't get everything right, and they are imperfect, but still, God knew what he was doing when he put you into that family. And, and because we don't resolve things with that first covenant relationship, it's a domino effect for every other covenant relationship that we come into contact with because we haven't received the power of God. And it's not that you have to get along with your dad. It's not that you, once again, loving and liking are two different things. And it's not that they have to be perfect, and it's not that they have to do all the right things. But if you cannot reconcile with those people in your life, it's going to affect your ability to have power to reconcile with other people in your life when you enter into a new covenant relationship. And, then, and, 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 now, and, now, and now you have to reconcile and connect with this person. Because I'm not always going to be the husband that she likes. And so, and so you have to learn to say, well, it may not be the dad that I wanted or the mom that I wanted. But it's the dad that God wanted for me. It's the mom that God wanted for me. And so, so God had a reason behind it. And I don't understand what that is. But I can submit to the process. And I can reconcile and I cannot respond in bitterness, and I cannot respond in trying to escape, and I cannot respond in envy even of other people's parents because, oh, I wish I had that. I didn't have a dad like that. I didn't have a mom like that. I don't have a wife like that. I don't have a husband like that. And it transfers from one covenant relationship to another. And so you have to go back. You have to go back, and you have to reconcile. You have to love people. And yes, that is also your relatives. <laughs> you have to love people. Williams Elementary people? Yeah. PTA? Absolutely. Uh, donating books. Look at all the books that people have donated uh, for the book drive that we did today. That's awesome. That's called loving people. That's awesome. But if you just love the people you don't know, <clears throat> you haven't connected to the power source that God has for you. <clears throat> You've merely done some charity. But the power comes into our life when we start plugging in. And by the way, when you unplug, it's, it's amazing. The, the, the Lord spoke to me about this about seven years ago because, because I was single and going for God. Uh, you were single seven years ago? Yeah, no. No, I didn't say I was single seven years ago. God spoke to me about it seven years ago. But back in the day... I 
was single back in the day. Doing, <laughs> I was single back in the day, doing my own thing, following Jesus, and it was awesome. And I was able, I, I had, I had plugged in to the power source in my life. I had, I had reconciled with my parents. I had submitted to my parents. I had, I had submitted to my pastor. Every covenantal relationship I was, I was locked into, and I had power. I had absolute power. I, I, I mean, it, 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 I, I, now I share stories with, with, with my kids. And I was thinking about that last night, about how, how much joy it is to actually share good stories with kids, you know, because there's some bad stories, but it's, it, it's good to share some good stories. And so I, I had some power, and I can tell you it's available. People say, well, well, you know, when you're 16, you have to go out and do all this crazy stuff. No, you don't. That's, that's, that's weird. That's abnormal. That's not normal. Sow your wild oats. I never got wild oats. What are you talking about? I don't, you don't have to sow stuff anyway that you got. Throw it away. Wild oats, throw them away. In the trash, that's where they belong. You don't want to reap wild oats. Why are you going to sow it? So, you know, it's, it, I, so, so I had power. I had power because I was connected to the power source in my life. And then, and then I got married. And, and now we got connected. And so I, I unplugged from, from, from those power sources. I plugged into this power source and I, was, and, I was, and I was connected. But as soon as I started pulling away from this power source, I recognized that I, I thought that would just do be, be just me and Jesus again. I would have this power. She would do her own thing and I'm not really going to worry. And, and I didn't realize that when I pulled away from her, I pulled away from the power. Because it's not just me and Jesus anymore. Jesus doesn't see me and Jesus anymore. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's not looking at two people. He, when he says, how are you doing? That's a plural you. <laughs> I, I'm from Michigan. I, I refuse to go there. God doesn't say y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Texan God says y'all. The, the Northern God just says you, and it's plural. It's just, just grammar. It's English. You look it up sometime. You learn it in sixth grade, okay? It's all good. You is plural. <laughs> Pizza about to turn off my, my microphone. <laughs> you is plural too. I mean, come on. But anyway, so when he says y'all, he's not talking about just you anymore. He's talking about you and your spouse. He's asking me how she's doing because I'm responsible for how she's doing. And he's asking her how I'm doing because she's responsible for how I'm doing. And how I am doing singular is irrelevant. If we are not connected, if we are not getting closer to Jesus, I'm not getting closer to Jesus. And so I have to empower her. I have to help her. I have to make sure that she is getting everything that she needs to be more like Jesus. And it's not always compliments. Sometimes it's we challenge each other because we want each other to get better, because we want each other to move forward, because we want to keep the power source that God's given to us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? I think the perfect response to this is just simply, number one, asking God if there's some areas in your life, some covenant relationships in your life that you have 
unplugged from and 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 you you felt like it was justified and you felt like it was right and sometimes there needs to be some distance <laughs> but sometimes there can also be reconciliation it starts in your heart it starts with forgiving people for allowing people to be human, for allowing people to make mistakes, for forgiving them, releasing them from owing you anything, from having to pay, releasing them. Based on what Jesus has done for you and me to release these people. And as, to the best of our ability to make it right, to reconcile with them. And secondly, those of us who currently are married, we, we can look at our own marriage and say, Lord, how, how am I connected to my spouse? How, how am I sacrificially loving her or him? How am I laying down my life for them? Because the truth is, before Jesus got to Golgotha, before he got to the cross, he was at Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, it was just him and his father. And he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He died, his ego died. <laughs> in Gethsemane and his body died on the cross and so before you can lay your life down for your spouse you have to lay your life down to God you have to die in Gethsemane you have to have your own Gethsemane where you say it's not my will that's important it's your will it's not my ego that's important it's your ego Lord we want you to be glorified we want you to be seen we want you to be revered and respected and so everything that I think I deserve and I think I need and I think I should have, Lord, I, I look to you to give me those things. I don't need a person to, I'm not going to rely on a person. I'm not going to put that much on them. I'm going to put this on you in the Garden of Gethsemane, just you and me together, Lord. I, I die to myself first. I give you my life so that I can go be crucified by others, so that I can go be mistreated sometimes even. So that I can, I can sacrificially love those people who currently maybe even aren't even loving me back. But that this love will create something. <laughs> that I can die with a hope of a resurrection. That I can die with a belief that God is doing something even when I can't see what he's doing. That I can say, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. After my body is gone, I can commit what's left to you. And I can believe that you can even raise it from the dead. You can do whatever you want. You can resurrect any relationship. You can resurrect anything. You can do miraculous things beyond what we've even imagined or thought. That hasn't even entered into the heart of man what you are capable of and even what you've planned for. And so we submit ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you today. Reveal to us any places that we need to seek reconciliation so that we can have your power, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.